Welcome to the Pioneers in Europe podcast, where we discuss opportunities, challenges, life, and missions across Europe. My name is Mark Oshman. I'll be your host today. Thanks for joining us. Okay, well, welcome. We are here today with James. James is in Bosnia. James, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to the mission field? Oh, yeah. Thanks uh, for having me on your program, Mark. Um, be happy to share a little bit about myself and my family and our journey to Bosnia, which started back in 1999 when we actually arrived here, my wife and I. We have uh, some kids there, the, the, the children are grown and uh, they were in college when we arrived here. So we came by ourselves, second career people. I was a social worker back in Louisville, Kentucky, and my wife worked at the staff at our local church. Then in 96, we took the perspectives uh, course, and that is what really activated us to thinking about cross-cultural work and started working with students in, in Louisville and international students and also with refugees. There's a lot of refugees that come into Louisville. It's one of the uh, medium-sized gateway cities for uh, refugees coming from around the world. I love the fact that you guys are second career missionaries. That's also unique among us. Um, tell us a little bit about Bosnia and uh, what life is like there and, and a little bit about what you see on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, well... Bosnia, and the actual name of the country is Bosnia and Herzegovina, and it's one of the, a previous one of the six republics of the former Yugoslavia. It was uh, a mildly communist country up until their war back in kind of a civil war type of thing back in the 92 to 95. <clears throat> and since then, it has, uh, like the rest of the former Yugoslavia, has broken up into uh, six independent countries, and it's a place. It's a beautiful. Uh, the the country is a beautiful place. People are nice people, hospitable, and but spiritually speaking, and in a lot of levels, it's a hard place to live. The the the, the politics are really messed up here. It's stuck. It's really hard to change things because of the just different reasons when the war ended. They, the, the system that got put in place uh, is sort of locked, prevents simple change and, and growth. So it's different from the rest of the countries around here in that way. And it's really unfortunate because it's got really high unemployment and people don't have a lot of hope. Uh, it's also interesting because it's a um, it's one of the few places in Europe that has not the only place but one of the few fewer that has a large uh, indigenous Muslim population of of um, ethnically they're 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 Slavic but they've been Muslim a lot of them has, since the Ottomans came here in the 1400s. So that's an interesting uh, factor. The church here is really young, really small, still a first-generation church that essentially started during uh, the war and started to grow, but is sort of leveled off now. And you, as a area leader, oversee several teams in that region. Can you tell us about how, tell us about the type of 
people you guys are reaching out to? Uh, is it Muslim background? Is it local nationals? Is it Roma? Is it all of those? Give us a little snapshot of that. Yeah, sure. That's, and in a sense, it's all of those. However, I'd qualify that by saying that. So we we're we're, we're not exclusive when it comes to who we interact with, who God puts in our path to uh, try and talk about spiritual things and uh, share the gospel with. However, we're mo- we've mainly been located in Muslim-majority cities like Sarajevo and a few others. And by majority, I mean 85-90% Muslim background people. But we definitely uh, interact with Serbian Orthodox and Croatian Catholic and even some Roma, too. Roma's, yeah. Well, James, you your teams uh, are kind of unique uh, across Europe. Uh, not necessarily unique in the mission, mission world, but uh, one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you is because you do something called DMM or CPM. Can you just give us a little bit of explanation of what that is and help uh, the listener understand? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I'll do the best I can. To, to, to me, the way I would describe uh, DMM, and I, would, I used to use DMM and CPM even interchangeably, and I still do sometimes, but some people would even clarify that uh, disciple-making movement is uh, what actually starts and then is actually the, the cause of eventually a church-planting movement. CPM, <clears throat> and when I think about it, just say DMM. For me, it's a, it's a, it's a complete paradigm or way of thinking about doing ministry and making disciples and planting churches. I hesitate to say it's a new paradigm or approach because I really think it's an older one that has been sort of rediscovered, um, and it's basically that. It has a n- number of elements in it that make it, if you contrast it with what I would call a more uh, traditional proclamational approach to uh, planting churches and disciple making, I think the distinctives that I would uh, tend to highlight would be several. For instance, there's a strong emphasis on obedience-based discipleship versus uh, what I grew up with, which was, I think, pretty good discipleship, but it was really strongly knowledge-based with very little emphasis on uh, practical obedience and putting it in practice as soon as you understood and and knew something was figure out how to apply that. So there's this really strong emphasis on that from the beginning. It actually has a... a, a, The the whole disciple-making process, actually, uh, we think of it beginning as soon as we make contact with with an open person or or, um, an open group. That's when the discipleship process actually begins. Uh, And it goes as long as they uh, stay interested and want to keep sort of sharing and putting into practice the things that they're learning. Another distinctive that I would point out, and it's not totally exclusive to DMM or CPM thinking, is a strong focus on natural social networks and, and groups that already interact with each other. That could be a family. It could be just some, uh, it could be a kind of a club or just a group of friends. Uh, but 
people that already know each other and we're trying to take the gospel into that group and plant it in that group rather than the more traditional approach uh, would tend to try to bring different people from different uh, social strata and backgrounds together to uh, form a group uh, and, and a church. So we prefer the working with what's already hanging out together. The uh, Another part, distinctive, not a total distinctive, but is an emphasis on this idea that God's really pre-preparing certain people like persons of peace who are tend to have this ex, tend to be able to accelerate the advance of the, the gospel and multiplication of groups and I would say that um, the teaching part of it the teaching preaching part of thing is very very inverted from what we're used to in the sense that teaching and learning is focused on a very very simple inductive way of, of teaching and learning so that it's very easy to grasp and it's very easy for new disciples to begin to pass on what they're learning and even to start potentially helping other people take steps towards not knowing God to knowing God and eventually uh, loving God. So it's not that we, we, we shun or would do away with traditional um, lecture style preaching or teaching. It's just that it's, we, we invert that. We try to emphasize on more effective ways of teaching and learning. And then these other things, we would use them, but less, but less often, and probably not so much in the early stages of, of, of discipleship. For the listener that is maybe considering missions and maybe even considering missions to your region, and your, your kind of particular team and unique model, what, what are the steps that person should be taking even now to be prepared? Um, we've got a, how would I call it? I don't want to say it's a real narrow filter because it's really not. But we do have some, what I would say is some non-negotiables. And one of them is our DMM paradigm for doing ministry. So after making contact with us and, and, and if they're interested in doing ministry like this with the, um, then uh, one of the things that we ask people to do, of course, is to come and meet us and meet the team. But the other thing is to, I just start sharing with them if, the, if people really, really want to learn or if they're, regardless of where they are on their understanding of a DMM paradigm, I can share resources with them. I always ask people to, let's start finding uh, intensive trainings you can attend uh, more and more. It's easy to find uh, in almost any American, large American city, somebody who uh, is trying to do DMM ministry in, in some form or fashion, and you could get coaching there. Uh, but one of the things that we've learned is grasping and making all of the mind shifts that are necessary to move to this paradigm of thinking and doing, practicing ministry from the older uh, way of the other way of doing things, a more just call it the traditional way of thinking and doing things. It takes a lot of repetition and, <clears throat> and repeated uh, training, if you will. So those are things that I would tell them, and I would ask, encourage them to start reading and start attending training types of opportunities that we can help them uh, find 
uh, because it's it's really hard to 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 get the mind to start thinking in a new and different way about making disciples and and how we actually do hands-on daily ministry. What are some things just unique to the region or or country in terms of uh, cultural adjustment that people would want to be aware of? One of the really unique things about living in Bosnia in particular is that it's one of these places with this large Muslim, indigenous Muslim population um, the whole country, it's about 50%, but the country is so divided and, and segregated according to religious ethnic groups now after the war that it's easy to move into cities that are anywhere from 75 to 95% Muslim background. Um, the other backgrounds being Croatian Catholic and Serbian Orthodox and a few other Roma and, and other. So but one of the things that's interesting is we look like they do, or said in other words, they look like we do. They're because they're Slavic background people. So you don't have to make the extra added adjustments and stresses that come from living amongst an unreached or least reached people um, and standing out because we're big white people. We look the same. All we have to do is learn the language, and of course, you know, you're, you're, we're, still, we're still foreigners, but you can, you can fit in more easily here. And it's a European context, so it's not third world. It's fairly easy to live here in a physical sort of way. Uh, spiritually, though, it's quite dark, it's quite oppressive, and people really need to prepare for that. That's another thing I would tell people to prepare for. People, we don't, as Americans, we tend not to think a lot about spiritual warfare, discuss it a lot, or uh, practice spiritual warfare, praying and, and understanding what the Bible actually says about um, pushing back against the devil and, and being aware of the, you know, I guess basically you can say all of life is is spiritual warfare because it's all the flesh, the uh, uh, the world, or the devil. But it feels more intensive here. I think that's one of the themes we're seeing, even even across the rest of Europe, is just that that preparation for the mission field is is necessary. And just because just because you can get a latte at the corner doesn't mean there isn't a real spiritual battle going on and to be aware of. Yeah, good point. Good point, Mark. It's totally true. And we really want people to be as prepared as they can. We are seeking as much as we can now for new people who are really wanting to come here to get some kind of, uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about the uh, potential studio training, Launch Global down in the south and some churches and or NYC Equip in, in New York City that not only teaches cross-cultural skills and insights, but also teaches practical ministry uh, skills and experience using a DMM uh, mindset and principles. I think one of the things that I would um, <clears throat> I would tell people is this: as I've been trying to explain this to our new people, we've got interestingly we have 15 new workers that have half have already joined us; the other half are arriving next year. In fact. See three more arriving next month. Fifteen new total workers that we'll have by March, uh, which is almost within 12 months. And as 
you and most of our listeners are probably aware that is extremely remarkable in the missions world that so many people would come to one place uh, at approximately the same time. And we, we can use even more, and we're praying for even more, because I think we have a really, uh, that's, I would say this, Mark, we have a great deal of clarity about what needs to be done and what our part is in extending the kingdom of God in Bosnia for the next uh, 10 to 20 years, depending on how many people we get and the, 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 how long the wave of people keep coming in. Because we know how to equip them, we know how to uh, place them with existing little churches, which is what we're uh, part of our strategy is to bring them to Sarajevo, equip them, help them start learning language in simple, practical ways. Everybody also has to have language acquisition training before they get here to uh, get a step up on that. And then we're going to launch people out to different parts of Bosnia and Herzegovina uh, and, and embed them with local churches or whether it's believers or some other combination of factors that we believe will enable, maximize our ability to contribute to uh, the growth of churches and multiplication of churches, getting a DNA of multiplication in uh, as much as we can. That's one of the things that we, I think, can contribute to that. And um, so what we really have, Mark, is a word that I use increasingly, is a catalytic mindset. We want people to think we're, we're cultural outsiders, we always will be, and we definitely want to also have a... Um, um, What's that? Uh, an incarnational uh, mindset as well. Learn the language, learn as much, become as much as we can a part of the culture here. But we want to weigh that. We really want to balance that out with by thinking catalytically, meaning that we as outsiders have unique contributions that we can bring with our DMM paradigm and way of thinking. We're never going to be insiders here. So. We want to do all the right things, learn language, be accepted, understand culture, uh, love the local church and love our neighbors. And, but also, we want to be the one, we want, really want to emphasize equipping Bosnians with these skills and understandings so that they are the ones that, that basically start movements or whatever that Bosnian multiplication looks like or how, however far it ends up going. Um, so we're catalyzers in a sense, as well as uh, practitioners of DMM uh, thinking. All right, I love I love the long term impact of that vision. Well, James, thanks for taking time to meet with us today and sharing with our listeners. We know that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I'm glad to see that more workers are coming your way, and Lord willing, they will continue to do so. Yeah, praise God. We're we, we're, we're really grateful and accept that as a sign of God's uh, favor and grace that I think we're on uh, the right track, at least our part of fulfilling God's will here for the kingdom of God in Bosnia. Thanks, Mark. Amen. Thanks for your time today. Thanks for joining us today. For more information, go to pioneersineurope.com find out how you can be a part of the mission of planting churches across Europe.